everybody, and welcome back to Diane and Langdon, the show where we analyze various media, continuing with Full Metal Alchemist, the 2003 anime adaptation. I am Diane. I am an archaeologist in D.C. And I'm Langdon. I am a comedian in D.C. As we said, we are continuing with Full Metal Alchemist 2003, the... Um, anime as- adaptation <laughs> of the <Shut> manga... Up. <laughs> uh, Full Metal Alchemist is based on a manga by Hiromu Arakawa. Uh, And this is episode 16, called That Which is Lost. So far in the story, uh, our main character is Edward Elric. He and his brother Alphonse, they're brothers, alchemists, and they're on a quest to find something called the Philosopher's Stone. Mm -hmm. Edward has a prosthetic arm and leg, and Alphonse is actually just a suit of armor. Uh, His soul is bound to the suit of armor. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, when I say they're alchemists, the system of magic in this universe is alchemy. It's, it's supposed to be hard magic with very strict rules, but they haven't really shown us that so far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of the things that have been pretty much constant are, well, you, you have to use a transmutation circle. Uh, that's kind of the equation that you follow when you do mm-hmm. your transmutation. Um, and they keep telling us about equivalent exchange, which is basically that you can't gain something from nothing. In order to get something, you have to give something of equal value. Mm-hmm. That's the first law of equivalent exchange. Right. But they haven't really done a good job of showing that. They've, they've kind of fiddled with that and broken with that, broken that a lot. Um, the story begins when the Elric brothers attempt a human transmutation to bring their mother back to life. It doesn't work. It's actually the thing that causes their, their injuries because they, they did the math wrong and they get their body parts taken to make that equivalent exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it doesn't work. The Philosopher's Stone, in theory, will let them break the law of equivalent exchange, and their goal with that is just to get their bodies back. They do not want to bring their mother back to life anymore. Edward is a state alchemist, which means that he works for the military that also runs the country. He's called the Full Metal Alchemist, and he's notably the youngest state alchemist ever because he got his license when he was 12. Uh, he's now 15. Alphonse is 14. Uh, but I believe he is still the youngest state alchemist ever. I, I believe so. Um, in addition to Edward Elric, our story is also following a man, uh, Colonel Roy Mustang, who is also a state alchemist. He is the Flame Alchemist, and he is usually accompanied by his goon squad, which we call the Stang Gang. Um, he kind of has the role of being Edward's babysitter. This mm-hmm. is a responsibility that he shares with his second lieutenant and adjutant, Reza Hawkeye, who also happens to babysit Mustang. So, you know. His goon squad is, is about six people in total, if we include Mustang himself. And you will also often see with the Stang gang, Lieutenant Colonel Mays Hughes and Major Alex Lewis Armstrong. But they're in a separate... Yeah, they're command. both in second, separate chains of commands. They're just, they're buddies with Roy. Yeah. They're buds. They were in... Well, they were well, all in a, in a thing called Ishval together, which yeah. we'll talk about in a minute, thank Langdon. But Roy Mustang is a maverick. He has aspirations of becoming the Fuhrer. Um, and he wants to become the Fuhrer so that he can make all women in the military wear miniskirts. This is the only motivation that the show has given us so far for his wanting to become the Fuhrer. There is no other reason beyond that. That's all we get. It's only miniskirts. It's miniskirts all the way down. There's no nuanced thing like, I did a genocide and want to make sure that that never happens again. There's no, I want to enable democracy in the... There, no, it's miniskirts. Um, but speaking of genocide, seven years ago, must... <laughs> While we're on the topic, uh, Mustang was involved in a genocide seven years ago. As, as were most of the... As were most state alchemists. Right. All state alchemists at the time. Right. Well, yeah. So most today. Um, but in it was it was the extermination of a region called Ishval, where the Ishvalan people live. Um, he participated in an ethnic genocide campaign, uh, which has been called either the Ishvalan Uprising or the Ishvalan Massacre, depending on your perspective. Yeah. Um, and he aided in this in the murder of tens of thousands of Ishvalans and also... Single-handedly. Single-handedly, yeah. He snaps his fingers and they're gone. Um, and also, two white people who happen to be the parents of Edward Elric and Alphonse Elric's best friend. And after he murdered the two white people, he got really sad. Mm-hmm. Um... One of the people, one of the Ishvalan people, his name is Scar. He's yeah. a survivor of this uh, of this massacre. Mm-hmm. And he has since become a serial killer, targeting state alchemist in order to get vengeance for his murdered brother and also his entire murdered... Race. <laughs> right. Um, and he has a tattooed right arm that lets him uh, do alchemy. But the Ishvalans don't uh, believe in alchemy. They believe it's sinful. Yeah. 
So he doesn't do the third stage of alchemy. He, he only does the comprehension and deconstruction of matter. He doesn't do the reconstruction part. There are a few other villains, kind of a mysterious uh, cabal of villains that has been playing in the background named Lust, Gluttony, and Envy. They're uh, very mysterious. They talk a lot about their plans for Edward, though we don't really know what this means yet. And they all have the same tattoo. Uh, it's, a, it's of an Ouroboros, or a serpent that eats its own tail. So coming into this episode, uh, kind of the stuff that we're coming off the heels of in the last episode and a couple episodes prior, uh, we, the audience, just learned all about the Ishval Massacre. But we learned about it from a very Amestrian perspective. Yeah. Um, not a whole lot of sympathy for the people who are actually the villains of this. And we talked last episode about how that would have been very possible and very easy to do mm-hmm. without really changing the episodes very much. Right, yeah. Um, Dr. Marco, who used to be a state alchemist, um, but he deserted during the conflict in Ishval, he was actually able to make a Philosopher's Stone. He, he was called the Crystal Alchemist because that was his whole thing. Uh, but he was in hiding, and last episode he was discovered by the government and arrested. Scar? What are you laughing at? By the government. <laughs> it sounded like you said, by the government. <laughs> this isn't America, come on. Uh, Scar? <laughs> He's a big alchemist. Working for the government. Also in the last episode, there was a conflict with the main characters and Scar. Scar... Are you done? <laughs> Scar blew up Alphonse and Edward's... Uh, he blew up Alphonse, so like Alphonse is very, very damaged. And he destroyed Edward's automail arm. And then he absorbed a Philosopher's Stone into his right arm. Right. Doc- Slurped yeah. it right into his vein. <laughs> Dr. Marco stopped Scar from killing Edward by doing... <laughs> with the philosopher yeah. the philosopher's stone could stop him from doing alchemy but after he absorbed the philosopher's stone on accident um he still was able to do alchemy and then he escaped that way by diving into a hole in the ground yep uh, <sighs> and that brings us up to where we are now so this is the 16th episode it's called that which is lost mm-hmm. it is written by Sho Aikawa who is the head show writer for mm-hmm. Fullmetal Alchemist 2003 and it is directed by Masakazu Hashimoto, who you might remember directed the episode about the big titty bunny girl, episode is, 10. Yeah, the uh, siren. This episode begins where the last episode left off, though probably sometime in the future, I assume the next day. There's lots of people wearing the Amestrian military uniform, but they're black and silver instead of the traditional blue and gold. Mm-hmm. So we thought maybe blue these people... Silver. Blue and silver. Blue and silver. Yeah, the uniforms themselves are blue and silver, but their their decorations are usually, okay, like, metals okay. are usually gold. Um, we thought maybe these were police, because they have kind of said that there's a distinction it's between police tell. and military in Amestris. But it, it, it it's kind of weird. It, we're not sure what was going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see a member of the Stan gang. His name is Kane Fury. He's kind of kneeling in the rubble looking for clues. And Lust shows up, and she kind of walks up to him, and she's like, Good luck, soldier. And then she walks off. Except in the dub. In which, oh, I feel so bad for the voice actress in the dub because they they always find a way to make her line twice as long as it actually needs to be. And so she has to say it all in a rush and it always sounds bad. But like, she's clearly doing the best she can do. So in this moment that's supposed to be, good luck, soldier. She goes, good luck with that soldier. I hope you find your man. Yeah, it's... (laughs) So it's goofy. very strange, very strange. Um, and she oh, heads no. down an alleyway where we see Gluttony trying mm-hmm. to eat a bullet that he kind of picked out of a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of bullets fired in the conflict with Scar. Uh, but Lust smacks it out of his hand and he tells her that he can smell the Ishval and Stray Dog, meaning Scar, uh, who they know of and who they don't, who's kind of messing with what they're trying to do, whatever that may be. Uh, but L- Gluttony says that Scar is now gone. Mm-hmm. After this, we get a cut to... I guess Roy Mustang's office. See, I thought we were in a small town where Marco lived and that's where all this drama went down. But apparently we've been in East City the yeah. whole time. Each each episode got progressively more, more urban. urban. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the only explanation that I have is that maybe the boys were looking for Marco on like the, maybe Marco was hidden suburb. on the outskirts. Like the very most outskirts of East uh, City and they just got closer and closer. 
I don't know. Anyway, I, don't, I, I just don't think they're talking to each other. They're here. They're 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 here. They're in Mustang's office, and Alphonse is wrapped up in a blanket because he got half destroyed last time. So this is kind mm-hmm. of a blanket that's keeping his parts together, right? And hiding um, the big gross hole inside. <laughs> Edward is looking at a piece of paper, and we see in a flashback that Dr. Marco dropped this for him right before he was arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, and on this piece of paper, it says, National Central Library, First Branch, the genuine truth behind truths, Tim Marco. And <laughs> <laughs> they, the boys talk for a moment, and they agree that they're going to they're gonna keep this piece of paper secret and what they've learned on it secret, because they don't feel that they can trust the military or Roy Mustang. Well, they given what they've learned yeah. about Ishval. Well, and given that they learned that Roy Mustang killed, killed the, their best the, friend's the parents, yeah. yeah. Uh, that takes us to our intro. So our intro, as always, is Alphonse says uh, restates the law of equivalent exchange and says that's how they used to think the world works. And it's interesting. What is the law of equivalent exchange, Langdon? We we brought it up at the beginning, but it's it's uh, you can't get something out of nothing. Every time you give something, you'll get something equal in return, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Um, and he, he always ends by saying that that's the way they used to think the world works. Mm-hmm. And we get a little insight at this episode into what that might actually mean, because we've been confused the whole time. Uh, right. We get the theme song, uh, and then we get the title card. The name of the episode, again, is That Which Is Lost. Mm-hmm. Back in Eastern Headquarters, in the office that King Bradley is using, King Bradley, uh, who is the Fuhrer, he is packing his bags, and he's leaving the Eastern Region because of Scar. They had actually, he and the rest of the crew from Central, which is the capital, mm-hmm. had come to East City to get away from Scar, and also because Roy was there, and they didn't think that uh, Scar would want to fight the Flame Alchemist. And now he's leaving. So right. he was here for like a few episodes for nothing. And it's, I, it's to get everybody right. The what's same gonna room. what's gonna keep Scar from following him back to Central? I have a theory that it's just gonna be ping ponging for the rest of the show, where they're all gonna go to Central, and Scar's gonna follow them all to Central, and they're gonna be like, "Well, back to East City," and then we're gonna ping pong back, and then Scar's gonna be like, "On to East City," and then they're just gonna go back to Central, and it's gonna happen that way for the rest <laughs> of the show. Like every other episode, they're gonna be in a different city. Have I told you that Amestris is divided the same way that Oz is divided in yes. the original Oz books, where there's a North? south west east region and the central region i think i think it's very funny i always think of it in colors Uh, mustang asks fuhrer bradley what his punishment is going to be because he knew where dr marco was and Mm -hmm. he didn't report it to the to bradley and bradley brushes this off he's like mustang you did a good thing you know i wanted to put dr marco in protective custody but boss grand who was who died a couple episodes ago and was apparently the fuhrer's second in command uh was always against it and Bradley knew that using Dr. Marco's research on the battlefield must have eaten at Dr. Marco, so now Bradley wants to make it up for him. Basically, the gist of it is Bradley saying, you know what, Roy? We knew where he was, too. You made the same call that we made just to leave him alone. Mm-hmm. So so you're not in trouble, basically. Right. Um, but he's obviously lying about his intentions or about knowing where Marco was or what yeah. he ultimately <laughs> wants to do with Marco because Mustang presses him a little further and he's just like, Goodbye, Roy. See you later. Thank you. Right. Um, Mustang leaves the office, and Bradley muses aloud to himself, the Philosopher's Stone does not exist. Mm-hmm. And we see him say this against the door that Roy Mustang just left through. And then we cut over to the side, and we see that Reza Hawkeye's just entered the <laughs> office, and she's heard everything. She's standing there, dumbstruck. Oh, nope. It's actually a hallway. This is just another example of a different, having a complete inability to show us where the fuck we are. A different place altogether. Altogether, but totally it's, outside it's the such office. a weird cut. It, it yeah. really does look like Bradley looks over and then the camera pans over to Reza Hawkeye standing in the doorway like, what did you just say? Um, yeah. But it's it's not that. Um, but Mustang is walking down this hallway we see in the next shot. I feel like we should have had Mustang walking yeah. down the hallway as the establishing shot for this. We should, yeah, we it's, should have had him behind the door just like, <clears throat> pouting. Or, or literally just switch the scene of, of the shot of him walking down the hallway with the shot of her standing in the open yeah. doorway. That's all it would have taken. It doesn't take any more time. Doesn't even take any more frames because you just cut it. Um, mm-hmm. but anyway... <laughs> Mustang's like, as you can see, I am perfectly fine. And Hawkeye makes absolutely no attempt to hide her affection yeah. for this man. And then she turns super tsundere and is like, maybe you wouldn't be such an insufferable twat if you actually did <laughs> whoa, get punished whoa, whoa, once in whoa. a while. That is totally the subtext there, though. Okay. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. Um, and then we hear Alphonse scream. So we go to Mustang's office. Uh, Mustang and Hawkeye go to Mustang's office. And we see that Alphonse is screaming because uh, Armstrong has torn his own shirt off. He's flexing his huge muscles. And he says he's going to fix Alphonse. Good as new. And they drop these kanji in behind him that say virility. Um, yes. This is this is his thing. And I love it's, it. It is his thing. Um, it's, it's very funny. Thing. It works very well. Um, Mustang stops Armstrong. And he says, hold on, though. Because only Full Metal knows the method of binding a soul to armor. And Edward's like, yeah, but I can't do anything until I get my arm fixed. Because Edward does not need to use a transmutation circle. Mm-hmm. Edward's able to clap his hands together and do alchemy on his own. That's something totally unique to him so far. Well, and I guess Scar. But a Scar has it on his tattoo. Yes. So never mind. Riza Hawkeye gets really dumb. Like, she puts a finger to her mouth and she's like, oh, that's right. Edward Kuhn can only do alchemy with both of his arms. They, they make her dumb, and I really hate that. Um, but point is, Edward needs to go to his mechanic back in his hometown of Raisinbull, and he mm-hmm. turns to Mustang and he goes, you know the one, don't you, Mustang? <laughs> yes. Um, it, he's he's needling Roy here. Like, right. He's, he's kind of pushing him, like, hey, I, I know what you did. I know what you did to my mechanic, or mm-hmm. to her parents. Um, and I, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but, um, we watched the, the dub of this on a whim. Uh, Vic Mignona does a better job with this beat than Romy Park does. I know, I know, I know. The man has a laundry list a mile long of shitty things he has done in his life, but this beat is not on this list. There's a very short list of good things Vic Mignona has ever done. This beat is on... He's he's a very talented voice actor. Yeah. Huge dick. But like... <laughs> I don't know enough of the drama, but I have heard the same thing. Uh, he's he's exceptionally talented. He he really does have an understanding like, of the medium. And yeah, yeah. And not it's just, too not bad just he's the, an asshole. Not just the medium of animation, but specifically the specifically the, anime, the mega genre. Very, yeah. very, very good understanding of it. Again, it's, it's too hard bad to he's a fucking asshole. All right, like, <laughs> damn. But anyway, um, he nails this. And Mustang, in return, mocks Edward. Is like, oh yeah, I remember you were in bed and you were screaming, oh it hurts, it hurts. I gotta pee my pants, right? Which, first of all. Mustang, Edward was pretending to be passed out the entire time he was there. Right. So I don't know where he's getting all this drama that never happened. Well, but Do you remember what he says in the in the He dub? says so tough, which like yeah. works better for English than it would in Japanese. Of, but, of course. Um, but, but, but basically it, it's subtextual. He's saying he, he knows what Ed is doing and Ed's like, I know what you did. And Mustang's like, you're threatening me, little boy? I know what you did kind of coming out of him and being like, right. you're going to threaten me. You committed a felony. Human you did a human transmutation. Yeah. And, uh, and probably whatever he did to Alphonse is illegal too. Um, <laughs> 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 um, after this, Ed's like, well, we're going to go to central after I get my arm back. They're going to go to a library. Um, mm-hmm. Maze Hughes says that he cannot take them because and then, he's with the Führer's entourage. And then we see someone, a close tight camera angle on someone's pec muscle and it kind of wobbles. And then we have Roy Mustang say, I can't go. I have a ton of work to do. And Reza Hawkeye says, I can't go. He has a ton of work to do. And then we see a very tight close-up angle on someone's exposed bicep and it wobbles. Havoc basically says, I can't take you because I don't have a death wish. And the rest of right. the Stang gang chimes in and is like, yes, yeah, same here, man. Right, because Scar's out there. Right. But... We now see the owner of the wobbling muscles. It's Armstrong. And he's like, well, then I guess there's no other option. I'll have to take them. And he gets more kanji. And this time it says virility redux. And the boys protest, obviously, because they don't like him very much. They, yes. they find him kind of creepy, I assume. But the rest of the stand gang, is, I think specifically Hawkeye, reminds them that they need an escort. Because Edward can't carry Alphonse. Which Armstrong can do. And if Scar attacks again, they're kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with Armstrong. Armstrong did save them from Scar previously. But I don't think they would be in a good position, even with all three of them. But they protest. Armstrong kind of leans in real close to Edward. And he's like, children should listen to adults. And Edward's like, you can't call us children. And Alphonse pops up and he's 
overjoyed. He's like, nobody's treated me like a child since I got this body. So it's a funny, it's a good beat. And the, and the comedy works well. And the comedy of the switching between people being like, I can't take you and the muscles works really, really well as well. Yeah. Um, very funny beats. At East City Station. Uh, oh, I, oh, I guess this beat continues. At East City Station, we see Alphonse is now in the sheep car of the train. Mm-hmm. So he's in a box packed up like luggage. And he's like, this is the first time someone treated me like luggage. Uh, so that works good too. Yeah. Um, all the comedy beats are nice. We go to the train where we see uh, uh, Armstrong and Edward. And Edward's kind of squished into the corner uh, by yeah. Armstrong. And he goes, spacious. Well, like, he does it the dub. And, yeah. and, the, and the sub is just, wow. Like, he's it's ve- he's it's just very annoyed. Funny. Yeah. Hughes is there to see Edward off and to exchange a message from Roy Mustang. And Mustang's really only message to Edward is, don't die. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do the paperwork. And Edward's response is like i would ever die before you you it's really harsh in the dub and i don't remember specifically what it is but it's really awful i can't either Um, but basically them telling each other yeah be careful but in a very i hate you way right um and and, oh and as a nice little like bit of flavor there's a little newspaper boy tugging on hughes's leg being like buy a newspaper Mm -hmm. Uh, hughes leans into edward and he's like hey and i have another thing to tell you about three years ago we found this little girl who had been turned into a chimera and exploded. <laughs> As if Edward doesn't As remember the most, the second most traumatizing thing to ever happen to him. It's oh, it's it, good. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's a very very odd beat. Because oh gosh, like, there's so you could have just been like, hey, you remember Nina Tucker? Right. <laughs> the right. end. You didn't have to do. All and then they could have done. Then they could have done the chimera and the explosion bit. By just putting flash up flashback frames on screen, right? Super easy, guys. Please, but he tells they Edward. They could have even like just re like recycled them. Like they wouldn't have even yeah, had no, to I know. draw new <laughs> oh, frames. I, that's just what I yank them in. I'm advocating for recycling. <sighs> uh, but basically, he tells Edward that Scar killed Nina, which we knew, but Edward did not. True. And Edward, we get a close up on Edward's mouth, and he grins, and he's like, "Thanks." Now I can take him on. Bro, he tried to kill you and your brother. Yeah. I, I don't know what more. <laughs> I don't know more what, why does yeah. he need the extra incentive? I don't get it. But before the train takes off, uh, Hughes tells Edward he's going to apply for permission to look for Edward to look through the first branch. And the newspaper boy hears this and he's kind of like, oh, oh. He runs off and we see him come running around the corner around some like shit, I guess shipping pallets. Something they're going to put on the trains. And he's got tears in his eyes and he, he reports to Scar. And he's like, they're, they're going to, to Central, to, to something library. And Scar's like, okay, that's good. And he grabs this little girl by like the scruff of her neck and he throws her at this little boy. They're siblings. They hug. They're reunited. He'd been using her as collateral. It's very fucked up. Yep. Um, but then he's like, sorry about that. And then he punches a bag of flour and disappears in the smoke. <laughs> it's a goofy bit. It is. It um, sure is. The final scene of this half of the episode happens in somewhere in east city i assume mm-hmm. uh, it looks like a hotel room it's wherever the government is keeping dr marco right now there's a knock on the door and he kind of jumps up and he's like is it is it the fuhrer has does he have his answer yet but it's not the fuhrer it's lust mm-hmm. so dr marco opens the door and he, he sees i don't he's i don't recognize this person he tries to close it uh he sees the ouroboros tattoo and he obviously knows something about it because he sees it and he has a, a visible reaction yes um but she kind of puts her fingers in the door, and then she stabs him. Uh, she's a, She has this ability uh, that I think is called the ultimate spear, but it's not named in the episode. It's not important. Um, but she's able to grow her digits to very long lengths of... It looks like a few meters, even, um, and stab people with them. So that's her superpower. She grows, Her fingers grow extremely long and then penetrate, if you will. Great. Um th- <laughs> Yes, I've I've been on the Reddit threads too, Diane. <laughs> um, uh, but but so she has that ability. We know that Gluttony is able to eat people, which you know anybody's able to eat people. Yeah. But he's able to do it better than most. Um, and Envy is able to change their shape altogether. Anyways, Lust has stabbed Doctor Marco in the shoulder. She enters the room and she starts asking him about Edward. She says, "You told the boy where you hid your papers." And she says that the boy is going to come even closer to the Philosopher's Stone, and she wants to make sure that Marco didn't put anything extra in those papers. And Marco's like, "It's not. It doesn't matter. Once he reads what's in the papers, he's not going to do the things that you want him to do." He is able to attack Lust because while she has him like pinned, 
he's bleeding so profusely that he's able to draw a transmutation circle in blood mm-hmm. and transmute the floor into a kind of a spear of his own and impale her right through the tummy. Wow. Um, but she seems pretty unfazed by this, and she says she already died once. She escapes from the the spear. She she breaks it and gets down on the ground again. Um, and Marco says it's just like the stories. You guys are, but he gets cut off. She opens the door and shows him that Gluttony has like uh, I guess she's like a maid or a page yeah, that yeah, works yeah. for the government. Um, but for, for for the hotel, I thought I thought she was. Oh, yeah, I thought I, I thought it was a. Um... It's not really important. She's not a named character. Um, yeah. but... <laughs> she seemed to be wearing an apron. I thought yeah. she was like housekeeping for the hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Gluttony's got her pinned, and he's actually he's got his like mouth open over her head, and like his top teeth are coming up. It's. It's really cool, like, framing. It's a good way to, to use your bad guy's power to do mm-hmm. something scary. But Dr. Marco's very shook by this again. And Lust is like, where did you tell the boy you hid your papers? Mm-hmm. Commercial break. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Diane and Langdon. That's patreon.com forward slash D-Y-A-N-N-E. A-N-D-L-A-N-G-D-O-N. You can subscribe to our Patreon channel. There's certain subscriptions that actually come with merchandise, including a sticker that says Alchemy Causes Problems, Violence Solves Them, and a t-shirt with the Stang Gang on it, which you can wear while you do the Stang Gang shimmy. In addition, (laughs) if you have any comments or questions at all, you can email us at dianeandlangdon at gmail.com. That's D-Y-A-N-N-E-A-N-D-L-A-N-G-D-O-N at gmail.com. Similarly, we also have a Tumblr page that you can contact us at. That is D-Y-A-N-N-E-A-N-D-L-A-N-G-D-O-N.tumblr.com. Uh, we do really appreciate any engagement that you guys want to give to us. Um, we like making the show for you. And if you yeah. guys are interested in learning more about it or engaging with us, those are good ways to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Getting back to the episode. Uh, we come back and we are on the train that the boys are on. Yes. With um, Edward comes into the sheep car where Alphonse has been and he is complaining about Alex Louis Armstrong saying that all Armstrong does is talk and brag about his family and then he looks around and realizes that Alphonse isn't there and he runs around looking around for him for a moment before he decides that someone must have mistaken Alphonse for luggage mm-hmm. and left him behind at the last stop and he runs back to where he was seated um, and reports this to Armstrong and then Edward moves to jump out of the window of a moving train. Um, <laughs> yeah. Armstrong. Which, he, which he's done before. Uh, sort of. Yeah. He, he just He never tried to like get off the train before. Don't yeah. try to jump from a fast moving train. You will die. But Armstrong reaches out and grabs Edward's pant leg and then it literally rips the entire <laughs> pant leg off. Yep. Like giving from, Edward shorts. From, um, yeah, from the knee from well, the knee down. On one leg. leg. On one leg. His auto male leg. And Ed, Edward, all the people in this universe have such flimsy clothing items. They're all buying like some fast fashion bullshit because yeah. arms like Scar's shirt is ripping. Yep. Edward's pants are ripping. And Edward's pants don't even rip where the seam is. Like it's just flimsy fabric. Or it's, convenient writing. Or convenient writing. Um, but anyway, Armstrong basically tells Edward to be patient. And that's it. That's, that's the scene. At the previous platform, we see Alphonse. He is still in his box on the platform. And he muses to himself, uh, just as King Bradley did earlier. So, interesting parallel. Uh, and, and he says to himself, <laughs> what was I supposed to do? I couldn't tell people that, hey, I'm with Elric. Uh, the dub has some really funny translations. I actually recommend it, particularly it's, for this episode. This, this episode is uh, good. It works really well. Uh, and it starts to rain, and Alphonse says, hey, I'm the one who wants to cry here. Mm-hmm. And a young man in a red bandana appears mm-hmm. across the tracks, and he sees Alphonse just sitting there, and he runs across the tracks, and he picks up the helmet, and he's like, this is really nice. And then we see the box empty. Uh, we do a time skip, because Edward and Armstrong have now arrived at this platform. And they're asking a nearby uh, officer if he saw Alphonse. Armstrong draws a really good and I think really funny sketch of Alphonse. And he holds it up to the guy. And the guy's like, no, I don't know. It doesn't look familiar to me. 
And he's like, you're a good artist. And Armstrong's like, oh, it's a technique for drawing likenesses that has been passed down in the Armstrong family for generations. Edward gets pissed at this. And you can see in the whole scene that he's agitated. But but this 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 thing about Armstrong's family really sets him off. And he accuses Armstrong of taking this too lightly. And he, he starts running again. Armstrong grabs him. And Edward turns around and he yells at him. He's like, you guys don't understand us. Dr. Marco told us what happened in Ishval. Mm-hmm. And Armstrong hears this and he kind of, you can see he's like struck by it. And he yeah, lets go of Edward. Him. And there's a music cue that goes along with it too. There's some like really, really big, big strings that hit. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So you can see that Armstrong is like, I don't want to talk about Ishval. Yeah. With a kid. Well, um, who does? But Edward escapes. And we get um, our next scene of Edward running through this small town that they're in. He's got one. He's got one arm of his uh, jacket flapping in the breeze because he's, he's missing an arm. Um, and he's running, and he encounters a young girl who looks a little bit like that boy that, like... that stole uh, Alphonse earlier. And she <laughs> sees his leg, and then she turns and runs down an alleyway, reacting a little bit like Rosé upon seeing Automail for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she ducks down an alleyway, and Edward follows. Uh, but of course, when he gets there, she's obviously gone. You guys have seen TV before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Edward looks around for a minute, and then we, the audience, get to see that she has actually zipped up a ladder and is standing on top of the wall, and she's holding a big box above her head. And then she, she's she got tears in her eyes, and then she chucks the box at Edward. Um, and then we get a blackout. Uh, he wakes up on the ground, um, and he, he kind of blearily sees this girl at the end of the alleyway holding on to this leg. Automail leg. And not she, a human leg. She starts to... Well, <laughs> humans use automail. Um, <laughs> it's not a flesh leg. It's it's automail. Well, um, <laughs> uh, he jumps up and he tries to follow her, but he falls because the leg that she's holding was his leg. Ooh! Um... He kind of drags himself to catch up with her, and he sees her standing by this farmhouse really close by. Um, she's still watching him. She's still teary-eyed. Mm-hmm. And a man appears behind her uh, who is missing a leg himself. He's got a crutch. And then we get a scene with Alphonse. Alphonse is on a bicycle. How is Alphonse... It looks very goofy. How is Alphonse riding the bicycle? The boy who stole him is now inside of him. And Alphonse muses that they are getting further and further from the train station. And Alphonse finally decides to talk to the boy uh, to try to get him to stop, which spooks the boy a lot. And they crash uh, the bicycle. And then the boy being spooked asks Alphonse, what are you? Yeah. And he also he also notes that he like isn't hurt at all. Yes. But he asks Alphonse what he is. And Alphonse says that he's the latest armor from Central. It's, it's talking armor. It's all, all the rage. Um, and then the boy explains he is going to a fight. Uh, he needs to beat up a guy or two um, in order to get accepted by Boss Poe. So he's going to go rub out, is the phrase he uses, um, a few guys from the Demusha family. And um, the Demusha family is always invading their territory. Mm-hmm. And Alphonse asks, are you going to... Are you gonna you gonna kill somebody? Um, at this point, they're on the bike again, and they crash again. Yeah. And while the boy is fixing the bike, they have a conversation about the philosophy of death and murder. And Alphonse tells the boy it, it's gonna hurt you when you when you hurt them. And the boy right. is like, "Not when I'm wearing you, pal." And Alphonse says, "No, it's it's gonna like hurt in in your heart, like in your soul." And after a moment, Alphonse is like, you know, if you don't want it to hurt at all, even in your soul, like, just relax your arm and let me take over. And he does take over and he draws a human transmutation circle. Which whoa, 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 whoa. Just a regular transmutation. Oh, my God. Just a, <laughs> that would really freak him out. <laughs> he draws a regular transmutation circle and he uses alchemy to turn, to, to fuck up the bike and a tree. He basically, like, fuses them together. Um, and this boy panics, obviously, either because he, A, doesn't know what alchemy is, or B, is frightened by this armor that can do alchemy. Right, and, and because humans should be able to do alchemy, yeah. not inanimate objects. Um, and Alphonse tells the boy that he is cursed armor, mm-hmm. and once the boy bonds with him, he'll never feel pain ever again. And this boy is shook and, like, runs for the hills. Yeah. Back at the farmhouse where we left Edward, uh, the man that we saw earlier is apologizing to Edward. They're all inside now. Um, this girl, he says, was just trying to do what's best for him and therefore her family. 
And Edward's like, you know, I can introduce you to my mechanic. So they give Edward his leg back. Yeah. And Edward's like, you know, I can introduce you to my mechanic. But the man refuses. Yeah. And the girl leaves. And the man talks about the time that he was a soldier. And Edward's like, you don't mean in Ishval. But it was in Ishval. Yes, it was. And the guy talks about kind of what it was like on the battlefield. And he talks about how he became like an animal. Totally shut down in a way that you obviously can't do mm-hmm. in real life. The way that he lives now. And he says that his injury, his missing leg, reminds him that what he experienced there in Ishval was real, and it was really him, but also that it's not who he is anymore. Uh, So he lost his leg, but now, he says, he has peace of mind and a life with his grandchildren. So he lost something, but he gained something, too. And Edward says, well, what about the soldiers who got out without losing anything, the guys who got out without a scratch? And this man says, well, they lost something, too, even if it's not something that you can see. And he kind of turns questions on to edward and he says you lost something so you must have gained something but what basically what did you gain don't you believe in equivalent exchange and edward gets upset about this i don't think he, he, he really doesn't like this line of questioning at all um because his his whole idea is really like what the fuck was equivalent about what happened when they tried to bring their mom back to life yeah. they lost two arms they alphonse lost his whole body they lost the rest of their lives yeah so what is the other half of that equation? They keep giving... He, say, he says we've lost something. We've get, we're always giving into the void. And everything's been taken away from us. Basically, they've gained nothing. Mm-hmm. Which brings us back to what Alphonse says at the beginning of, of every episode. Which is... When you give something, you get something in return. You can't get something from nothing. You have to have an equivalent exchange. But here we see that first kind of seed of doubt where it's like, okay, if that's true... Then what happened? Then what? Then where is it? What did we get? Right. And the man brings up uh, this dream that, that Alphonse and Edward have to get their bodies back. And he says it's a dream to get everything back to the way it was. But once you have everything put back together the way it was, what do you do with the rest of your life? And he, he kind of accuses Edward by saying that the pleasure of a dream is that it's a fantasy. If you can... If it happens then it was never a dream. Once your dream comes true, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Right. Basically, he says that, like, yeah, that's that's great. That's a great dream. But you're committing yourselves to chasing a fantasy. You're, you're never going to be able to do this. Versus me, I settled. I saw what I had, and I settled with a life. And I and my losses, too. And he doesn't have a dream. He says, you could do that. You could, you could still be happy without wasting your life pursuing this impossible thing. You're never going to get back what you've mm-hmm. lost. This is very, it's a very interesting, we watched it a bunch of times, because it's, it's, it's a lot, and we had to watch it in both languages, because right. it's, it's, it's dense to unpack, so if you guys think something different's going on, send us an email, and we'll read it. So they have this very con- contentious conversation. Not mean, but, but contentious. It, yeah, Ed- Edward doesn't like this, this interpretation. Um, mm-hmm. He ends up breaking a cup with his fist. It's... Because he's he's angry, he's he's deeply angry, and mm-hmm. he does not fix it. Which right. we'll talk about it. We'll talk we'll ta- about it. We'll talk about it for everyone who's like, well, he doesn't have his arm. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about that. But um, the point is, we believe he could have fixed this cup, and he chooses not to. They sit in quiet for a little bit, uh, and Edward's kind of like, even so, even if that's the case, we're gonna take it all back. Thanks for the tea, and then he leaves without fixing the cup. Even though he could have. <laughs> he really could um, have. And he leaves and the man sits for a moment by himself and then he, he smiles. So clearly he likes something about this this little whippersnapper, even if they don't agree. <laughs> right. Um, outside the farmhouse, Edward's just kind of standing uh, in the in the post-rain mist. And the boy with that red bandana comes running. He runs into the farmhouse screaming. We hear the girl inside uh, be like, Big brother, you're home! And the way she says big brother... Reminds Edward that Alphonse is still missing. So he takes off down the road running. He's shouting for Alphonse. And Alphonse is actually like pretty close to the farmhouse himself. Still next to the tree and the bike hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he shoots his hand up and he's like, hi! Yes. So, very an- another very funny beat. They, right, it's, right. It's, it's good. On the road, in the sunset, in what I have come to call our Pokemon wrap-ups. Because mm-hmm. if you guys watched Pokemon, every episode ends with them walking into the sunset towards the next city. And every episode of this show ends similarly. Yes. Um, 
Edward's got uh, Alphonse in a wheelbarrow that I assume that he made from the tree and the bicycle. Right, right, um, right. That would be a, a solid assumption. And they're talking about what's, what they're going to do once they reach uh, Granny Pinnacle's house, Winry's house. Though, the, Edward can't transmute. He doesn't have an arm, Langdon. Alphonse can transmute. Alphonse can transmute, can't he? But we sh- but we, sh- we, will, we will talk. We will talk about that. We will talk about oh, it. Oh, but we talk about that. Uh, but after they talk about what they're going to do when we reach Pinnacle's house, mm-hmm. Edward brings up Roy Mustang Ugh. and says that... <laughs> well, that's how I feel about this beat, too. Um, and he says that Mustang arrived at the, at the Rock Bells saying that he was looking for Edward and Alphonse's father. But, Al, do you think... It, kind of implying that maybe Mustang was there for the Rock Bells instead of them. Uh, but ALA then appears. Armstrong. Uh, Alex Louis Armstrong then appears and lifts Alphonse Elric up. Yep. So so the whole gang's reunited. And Edward turns to uh, to Armstrong and he apologizes to him. He apologizes for causing problems and for running away. So kind of tying together everything that we saw in this episode. What Edward learned from this conversation with this old man. And also what Alphonse learned about, or what Alphonse talked about with this young boy. When you kill somebody, it will hurt you. Even mm-hmm. if you get out without a scratch, you lose something. Mm-hmm. Um, so Edward understands that now, and, and he apologizes to Armstrong, and Armstrong is visibly touched by this. Because mm-hmm. uh, Edward is not the kind of person who apologizes to anybody ever, for any reason. Mm-hmm. But that sweet moment is broken by a train whistle, um, and that kind of snaps Armstrong out of it. He yoinks up Edward, uh, so he's got both brothers, one on each arm, and he starts running into the sunset using a running technique that's... Been, Almost undoubtedly been passed down. Well, he says the it has been passed down. Does it? The okay. Armstrong line for generations. It's it's explicitly in there. I just assume literally everything he does has been I, passed oh, down oh, for generations. Oh yes, I do too. But it's. Um, but then we get our outro and our end credits. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some uh, things we took away from this episode. I would uh, love to. For me, this doesn't feel like a single episode. This feels like two separate minisodes. Like, it's fine. It's something they've done before, like with the state alchemist exam. Mm-hmm. The first half is all about Gracie and the baby, and the second half is about the test. Uh, but this feels like kind of a last arc wrap-up in yeah. the first half, and then a done-in-one in the second half. So it feels to me like a complete tonal shift from, like, wrap-up denouement mode to, like, something more philosophical and grounded and mm-hmm. real. And I actually really love that. Like, I, yeah, I actually think this episode is quite good. Yeah, you you know I love, like, the philosophical and real shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, this ending else is really, really nice. Yeah, I actually expect us to see a lot more of that kind of style of, uh, we're going to spend half the episode so. doing... What? I hope so. We're going to spend half the episode doing, like, uh, major arc stuff. And then the other half of the episode doing maybe a done-in-one, maybe a smaller arc. Um, oh, I don't know if I hope for that. I, I yeah, think I, I just hope for more, like, depth from it than I've gotten yeah, yeah, so yeah. far. I, I think we've been moving in a positive direction for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, which is good. Uh, okay. Really really since the end of last season, as it were. Okay. Uh, but we still have this issue where we don't know where we are ever. No. Never know I, literally where in space we are at or time at any given point. I don't think the teams talk to each other because writers and directors change every episode. And right. I believe a, a large portion of the staff is episode by episode based. Um, I don't know the specific way it's broken down. Uh, the setting changes every episode, but like sometimes we pick, like, well, like we talked about, we started this episode in Eastern City, in the heart of Eastern City. In East City. East City, yeah. yes. Even though last episode we were in Probably not East City, but it, and an the episode urban before, area. right? And the episode before, we were in definitely Some not East bum City. Some fucking unincorporated town, like. So the only explanation is that Doctor Marco was hiding on the very outskirts of East City, and their battle with Scar brought them closer and closer to the city center. Right. But that is a stretch. I should not have to do that work. No. You guys should just talk to each other and set your episodes in the same place if they happen right after another. Absolutely, I. Um, I guess. Marco could be in East City because it would mean that Roy Mustang was kind of the one guarding him. Right. But Mustang's also not technically in charge of East City. Um, he... Lieutenant Colonel... Lieutenant... Um, sorry. Lieutenant General Grumman is. And Mustang is just kind of we his don't know the protege. We don't know the Grumman. He is. Well, we don't know that yet. Uh, okay, but I promise you he is, and he's in charge of the East. But, like, Mustang's just kind of his little protege. But a large part of his initial movement to the East was so that he could take control of the situation in Lior, remember? 
Right. So he does. So I think he does have some gubernatorial ability. Probably. Uh, <laughs> uh, we also have the second half of this episode takes place in yet another town with no name, which like you don't have to name yeah. every single town you're in, but for the sake of just kind of narrative it really helps to actually right. name a place where people are so that you can kind of quantify it in your head okay and say okay we're not in east city we are in this place right that would have really helped a couple episodes ago here here i don't actually mind but it is a good thing to point out because they've been doing it a bunch there, there's the town the episode with maj hall that town has no name right um and and also notable is that this story happens in a much more it appears to me to happen in a much more Japanese Amestris than uh, than Arakawa's Amestris in the manga. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's notable because the last time we were saying that was the episode with Siren. Mm-hmm. And again, this is the same director. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I actually, if, if you really squint at it, you can start to see a lot of similarities in the way that things are structured and the way things are foreshadowed in the episode. So you can kind of get into this director's head and see what they notice and how they tie things together. Which they do quite nicely here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it's present in the fact that in the episode with um, Siren, Siren yeah. Edward eats dango, he eats tonkatsu. Right. Um, here, we didn't mention it, but when we find Alphonse next to the tree, when Edward finds him toward the end of the episode, he's covered in, like, seals, in, like, yeah. warding and sealing seals, uh, which all have crosses on them, like, crucifixes yeah, yeah, on yeah, them. Yeah. Um, and also just the kind of idea behind this family territory conflict is, i thought so at least it's and, it's not presented quite in a western manner um it's it's not something that i as a western person see and i'm like yeah i remember when i used to hop on my bike and go to rub off a few guys so i could fight <laughs> for my family territory that wasn't my growing up experience i don't think it's anybody's growing up experience these days it certainly isn't it the was... the 1914 european growing up experience right. so um yeah, you want yeah. to talk about Scar. I always want to talk about Scar. I'm a, I'm a big Scar fan. Um, I think it's interesting in this episode because Scar... I don't know that Scar ever becomes a full-on good guy in the manga. But he certainly loses a lot of the menace and a lot of the things that sparked fear about him as he becomes part of the main cast and as he develops this relationship with Mei Chang, Chang. Yes. Mei, and as he develops this relationship with Mei Chang. Is that right? Mm. Okay. Chang uh, Mei. <laughs> Uh, and and they're starting and they're starting in this episode to introduce that really kind of anti-hero vibe because right now up until now he's been violent he's willing to kill torture extort to get his way And, and even the thing he does with these kids and blackmailing that little boy being like hey i have your sister until you get me my information that's that's messed up yeah but when he throws this girl back to the boy he says he apologizes and I think the beat where he punches the bag of flour and then escapes in the smoke <laughs> is really, really goofy in a way that a lot of his interactions with May are goofy. Yes. Um, so I don't know if they have that sense that they're trying to shift him into a different kind of character or if they just had him punch a bag of flour and be silly for no reason. Uh, but I, but I, I, didn't, I didn't not notice it. So I do think they are trying to shift the narrative on Scar a little bit. Just because um, you are a bad oh guy doesn't God. mean you are a bad guy. You're absolutely right, Zangief <laughs> uh, from Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, it's my favorite Disney movie. <laughs> have you... I, don't, I didn't see this before. You... <sighs> Diane has, has added a whole bullet for... Roy, a lot of text for Roy Mustang while I wasn't looking. Um, excuse I, you. I know, it's a surprise. Excuse you. It is... Two whole bullets. Two bullets. With a lot of text each. All right, so let's okay. talk about this. Edward brings up the question of why Roy Mustang was in Risenbull. Yes. So Mustang's apparent motives have changed for arriving in Risenbull. However, I want to bring up the fact that there is absolutely no hint of his being there for any other reason than Edward and Alphonse in that first episode. No other hint. Nothing. Nothing at all. He's there in the rain on the hill in his hat and he comes in and he's like, I was looking for you because we got a letter about your dad. And that is it. We we don't have any sort of interaction that he has with Winry or with Pinnacle that could see that he is there for them in any way, shape, or form. He largely right. ignores them completely. Despite being in the house that has Rock Bell on a sign out front. Right. So I I don't know that when they wrote the first episode, 
they considered this plot point or this twist. I really don't think so. So I I feel like they are 100% pantsing this show, which if you don't know the difference between plotting versus pantsing, so plotting or planning is basically on the far end of the plotting spectrum, you're like me. You know literally everything down to the individual beats before you start writing. Your outline is your rough draft. And when you do start writing, you start last scene first. Yes. My last scene is always written first. Versus... <laughs> Don't tell the Amestrian Candidate fans that. It's written. It is done. Um, but the pantsing, you just, you literally just sit down at your computer on the far end of the spectrum and you're just like, I guess we'll do this today. And you just see where the muse takes you. Most people kind of exist in a middle ground. I think most people probably exist in in some kind of middle ground. Right, right, right. Which is like, you know, most major plot points or you have a really good idea of what you want to do, but you're kind of letting the spirit move you as far as specific slash long-term goals, like, or, or like individual beats. So you, you've got a nice... If you guys read comic books, then you see, you see middle ground between planning and pantsing all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... You have to have, though, a very, very strong innate understanding of pacing in order to, in order to be a full pantser all the way. Verse, it's so you, you have to know what you're growing, kind of, so you can plant your seeds early enough. Or you have to be able to identify things you've planted as guns that could go off later on in your narrative and mm-hmm. be able to pick them up and be like, that's fun. I could work this in here. You have to be able to like identify that. These, I, these guys don't have that ability. <laughs> yeah, because well, and, and you often say they're totally pantsing this, and I don't, I don't think that they are, but they're definitely closer to pantsing than planning. Or, they may just be afraid of seeding their plot twists, like actually putting in moments that could give the audience hints early on, because they're afraid that the audience could figure out the twist before their protagonist does. And we've seen evidence of this before with the show Tucker arc where Edward figured out everything that was going on before they even gave the audience any hints. So we were not taken along for the ride versus if you actually take the audience along for the ride sometimes and like drop them little pieces of information and then twist it on its head, Arthur Conan Doyle style, then like, then you end up with a much more satisfying narrative. The point is, these guys are either laying the tracks as they go, or they're really scared of planting seeds in case you figure them out beforehand. What, is, what does this have to do with Mustang? Uh, so they didn't see it as motivation at all for going to Rizambul. It, you, you are not allowed to think that he went there for any other reason until this episode. Yeah, you have There's no, nothing else. You have no reason to. Right. They so haven't it's, equipped it's, you with... It's goofy. But while we're here, uh, let's talk more about Mustang and his beat with Edward. So... Um, when he, when Edward's like, hey, you know my mechanic, the okay, rock okay. bell sure. girl. And Mustang's like, yeah, you were a baby. You were crying because you did a felony. Like, you know, that, that sure, kind of sure. beat they have. So it's a little bit of a redux of their, of this manga moment, um, which is Edward discovers at his state alchemy exam that Mustang is less than loyal to the Fuhrer. And he comes out and says, like, hey, I learned something interesting about you today. You're kind of a traitor, aren't you? And Mustang's like, you're kind of a felon, aren't you? And, like, so they, they kind of have each other. But it's it's friendly. It's never anything but friendly. Because neither of them would ever actually do it. Because they, cause they're so fucked. But it's it's largely because, like, they don't really know each other yet. Three years later... They're, they're never going to spill each other's secrets. It's right. never going to happen. They love each other. They don't like each other. They love each other. Yeah. This is very hostile. Um, Especially with the so tough reading. Possibly because it's extremely personal. So again, in the manga, it's, oh, you plot in treason. And then Mustang be like, haha, that's really funny that you, that you know that. You know what else is funny? Your brother in a laboratory and you and Juvie. Fuck around and find out, kid. <laughs> okay. But like, it's... It's it's here. It's very much you murdered my friend's parents, and like it's not also yeah. a great look for Mustang to be on defense about this. Like these authors again, they really want me to like Mustang, mm-hmm. but like to be honest, what I get from here him here is just like 
Well, somebody got over their remorse, I guess. Somebody, yeah. like, hiding Marco really did wonders for his guilt complex over killing the, <laughs> over killing the Rockbells, I guess. Like, I don't want Mustang to play defense about anything that yeah. happened in Ishval. It's, I don't want anyone to play defense about that. Because, again, going back to the manga, Mustang does not ever defend his actions in Ishval because he knows he can't. Yeah, he def- knows he doesn't yeah, have any room to. And so the the treason versus human transmutation thing, yeah, those are kind of equally bad. Like all things considered with the nuance of Mustang trying to commit treason in order to prevent bad things from happening. Edward did a human transmutation to try to bring his mother back. Like mm-hmm. they had very, they have very noble aims. Yeah. And so yeah. the crimes are kind of equal. But here Mustang saying, yeah, I may have murdered 10,000 people and your friend's parents, but you tried to bring your mother back to life. Like how are those things in any way ethically equal one is very much worse than the other and the writers here i feel are drawing a false equivalency so like we have to remember when we look at something we don't just come into it blind we can't consume any media in a vacuum we bring in our outside understandings of the world as much as we tried to with this podcast well even outside of just bringing in our knowledge about the manga you you bring in your own personal knowledge. So like we, you and I, and most people know thanks to Nuremberg and common sense that I was just following orders. Is not good enough? Yeah. And like the media also has themes like fuck D and D with their whole themes are for eighth grade book or for D and D like game of Thrones, D and D the writers of game of yeah, Thrones. Their, their whole themes are for eighth grade book reports. No, all media has themes unintentional themes are the result of being human and being biased and you write what you know so like we we have to approach this kind of with this outside knowledge and with this outside yeah. ethical compass that we of have of course uh, well you're so, you're i feel like especially with full metal you're challenged to question ethics of characters you should and the thing is mustang is never going to face legal repercussions for Ishval or for what he did to the Rockbells. Because, because, because he was illegal. following orders. And it wasn't illegal. It was absolutely legal. But Edward will face legal repercussions if what he did gets out. So like Even though it was the right thing to do. Why threaten him with this? Why threaten him like this? Is he afraid that Edward's gonna go home and tell Winry? What's that gonna lose Mustang at the end of the day? A one little girl is gonna not like him? Oh boo hoo. But like Unless he's really saying, hey, you did something naughty too. And therefore the authors have made the statement that what Ed did is as bad as what Mustang did. Or at the very least, Mustang thinks that what Ed did is as bad as what he did. And again, they want me to like Roy Mustang. Why? So what is that thing that we said about Edward at the very beginning that we wanted him to do in order to make us like him? Be nice to somebody. That's all it takes. Is be nice. Be to nice somebody. to somebody. Literally, have someone do nice something nice for somebody else. What has Roy Mustang done nice for somebody else that was not in any way self serving? Uh, he killed those kids. He didn't help Edward uh, with cleaning up the circus grounds. He didn't. He killed all those people. Um, he killed the rock bells. Uh, he killed all those just fallen. Right. People. So we're coming up with nothing, right? So this Mustang is either mean or totally aloof. He's never nice he he rarely even the only time that we've ever seen him like be nice is when he's with hawkeye and it's not even being nice it's literally just being toned down and mellow like and and aloof putting her in a mini skirt with his eyes mustang is not a nice person he's not a good person that's fine he's not supposed to be but like you're supposed to like him though you're supposed to like him and i cannot empathize with this Mustang. And part of this is because of how they've set up these things that he has done. So with Edward and Alphonse, when they do human transmutation, we go with them. We understand exactly why they do it. We're there from the moment they lose their mother. We're there while they are determining that they're going to try to bring her back. We're there with them for their pain and for their grief up until the moment that they do it. So when they do it, even though it's bad and we know it's about to go tits up, we absolutely are here for them and empathize with what they're trying to do. Yeah, you want it to work. When Roy Mustang kills Ishval in the Rockbells, we don't get any of his perspective. Now, this also goes back to the manga. In the manga, we get Hawkeye's perspective on Ishval and Scars, which plays a lot because she's so close to Mustang Mm -hmm. on Mustang's motivations. And it really helps flesh that out for us. Here we get Marco's interpretation, which is like totally 
disqualifies and all Mustang's of, motivation. all of his killing is secondhand. Exactly. So, so you don't actually get into the heads of the people, except for kind of Armstrong, but the heads of the people who did it. But we don't get to ride along with Mustang right. as he gets these orders and justifies them to himself and shuts down in order to carry them out, which is what you do in a war. You just shut down, turn yourself off, and dehumanize the enemy. And we see the aftermath of his guilt, but rather than make me go, oh no, it makes me be like, yeah, you should feel guilty, bitch. And again, following saying I was just following orders, not enough. Like, we're not primed to empathize with Mustang when he does bad things. Mm -hmm. So I can't empathize with him. I can't empathize with him here when he's threatening Edward by saying, "You did. I did a bad thing, so did you. Because I understand Edward's, like, motivation for breaking the law. I don't understand Mustang's motivation for mass murdering people and shooting the rock bells. I don't understand his motivation there. So, like, I don't like Roy Mustang in this. I, and I, that I don't mean, oh, he's fun. I hate him so much. I mean, I don't care about him. Stop giving him to me because you're showing me a bad person who makes false equivalencies and tries to equate his participation in genocide and murder to wanting a mother back. I don't give a fuck about this Roy Mustang. I don't want him anymore. I'm good. Thank you. Well, I got bad news for you. Um, I'm not totally convinced that Mustang knows what Edward is talking about because I feel, I feel like Edward's like, Hey, what else could Edward be talking about though? With respect to his mechanic. I don't even know that. I don't even know that Mustang knows that it is his mechanic. Frankly, I'm sure he knows that the people who built his automail are the rock bells because Winry has come to central before to fix up Edward's automail. Yeah. Yeah. And he saw the picture and he saw the picture I'm I'm sure he knows. We we haven't we haven't gotten any confirmation that he knows that Edward knows. So I I, I the fact that Edward I read I read the beep in his hostel and Mustang feels the need to be hostile back. What else could he assume Edward is talking about? I I think I think you you may, you may be very right, but I'm very much like until the show confirms it for me, I'm I'm gonna sit on the fence about it. I but I think he knows, and that makes this moment honestly gross yeah um, he's a bad person so i respectfully he's always a bad person he's always a bad person but here he's just like a, a bad person. person with bad motives bad as person well. redux just, just real bad person i want a person who does bad things with good i want him to be machiavellian not evil nevertheless this beat still feels a little off because it is so public um and also so hostile so early on. Yeah, I agree. I'm very curious, though, to see how we come back from you murder my best friend's parents and I don't trust you anymore. Because this is, again, a very hostile beat to play so early when I feel we really haven't seen them, like, enough of them trusting one another and working together uh, for this to feel earned yeah. or, like, we can come back from it. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Ed and Roy at odds. I love it. But I also want them to love each other and trust each other. And I don't feel like we've hit this yet in the narrative. So it's really going to be hard to come back from and literally build for the first time to that place of absolute love and trust. Right. We act- I don't think we've seen them work together at all. We've actually only seen them literally fight each other. Right. Or one of them slack off and pretend to be cleaning up a fairground while the yeah. other one does all the work. I, okay, I guess they worked together to find Dr. Marco, but how well did that work? Uh, they didn't work together. No. Mustang, Mustang told all where yeah. he was. Yeah. But it was like part of the deal, you know? Does that count if it's part of the deal? I guess not. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess so. I guess you're right. <laughs> I, I, I still want to like him. I do too. They've given me no reason to. And it makes me really sad. It's a bummer. All right, so we're going to talk now about uh, Edward and alchemy. Um, yeah, this is this is one of the things that we noticed in this episode that's very odd. odd. Um, at the very beginning, Edward is like, I gotta go get my arm fixed so I can fix Al. And then Mustang's like, Edward is in fact the only one who knows how to fix Al. He sure needs his arm. And Hawkeye's like, yeah, if you don't have your arm, then you can't do alchemy. And if you can't do alchemy. Yes. But y'all, in the yep. episode with Barry the Chopper. Edward doesn't have an arm for a while, and he still does 
alchemy. Do you want to know how he does it? How does he do it? He takes a screw. Oh. And with the screw, he etches a transmutation circle and touches it. With just a finger. Just a finger. Wow. Edward could still do alchemy by drawing a fucking transmutation. Why can't he draw a circle right now to do alchemy? Why does he need two arms this badly in order to fix Alphonse? What the hell are you talking about? I mean, like, is, what, are there no pens or, or chalk in East City? Is there <laughs> just no, no chalk, chalk in the entirety of the Eastern military headquarters? Nobody, in the and Alphonse ain't sharing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, Alphonse usually but, does carry so, chalk. But I, so I, so I think it could be possible that this is too complicated of a transmutation, that it would be easier for him to do it with both arms and probably safer, because he could fuck up the circle, right? Uh, bro... Bro, what? he could have drawn any old fucking circle. You can use any oh, circle fuck. for anything in this mo- in this anime. Maj Hall does flame alchemy and fixes the fence post and does no, who I, knows whatever the fuck with the Whatever the fuck circle. with those girls and the puppets. <laughs> whatever that was about. Like, he could do it with the all with the exact same, with a single transmutation circle. Shut up. <laughs> Read a book. Read a book. What the fuck are you talking about? This book. Read full metal. That's not what happens in this book. I'm mad. (laughs) Look, this is what we mean when we say continuity. Is you have to remember the things that you have planted earlier on and said are possible and aren't possible, and actually fucking stick to them. (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree with you. Oh my god. Overall, it's a pretty good episode. It actually is. The second half Uh, is is especially good. Diane has a mad on for this Roy Mustang, which, and, I, and I totally don't blame you because your note about them wanting us to like him but not giving us any reason to do so, I think is really, really poignant. It's very obvious the more that he appears on screen that they have not developed him correctly. Yes, um, or at all. Yes, no, I, I don't agree. think they know what they want to do with him. They're bad at pacing. It really all boils down to that, I think, yeah. in a lot of ways. You're um, absolutely right. The next episode is episode 17. Uh, it is called The House of the Waiting Family. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna go back to the Rock Bells and the Elrics are gonna learn that Winry was killed in Central when they abandoned <laughs> well, we her at the train station. We actually get a shot at our preview Delivered of her straight back. into the arms of the nearest <laughs> Central serial killer. Because the last time we saw Winry, she was kidnapped and then the boys the only time left her. town. Just left her in the middle of Central. <laughs> You'll be fine, Didn't right? even make sure she got home, okay? That they just PTSD doing okay? Just bailed. Uh, we do get a shot of Winry's back in this, but it could be a flashback to before she was killed by a serial killer. We don't know. <laughs> um, we also get a shot of Edward and Alphonse sparring we'll yes. see who wins this time if yes. alphonse wins or that is a good edward point. wins um, if they bring up that alphonse wins though we have to point always wins we have to point out that edward beat him twice yes i know oh uh, you're absolutely yes you're 100 <laughs> right um but we'll see you guys next time